afternoon, everybody. Um, oh, these guys are wonderful. You guys have got the slide up already. Nice. Praise the Lord. So, as Pastor E mentioned, we're in a series looking at the church. And today, I believe it's the sixth or the seventh in the series. Um, today, we're going to be talking about unity with regards to the church. That is visible unity, but also invisible unity. Unity, visible and invisible. Now, that might sound a bit um, mysterious, but hopefully we'll get it. And um, I've got a, a, a subheading. Uh, I'm going to ask if Jide would just hand out a couple of um, kind of church message handouts. Hopefully this will help you as we're walking through the text. Um, unity, visible and invisible. If you go to that next slide for me, please. <clears throat> and I think one of the things I want to argue today is that we, that is those of us that are Christians who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we are one with God, which is really important, but we are also one with one another. We are one with God and one another. As Christians that make up the church. If you go to that next slide for me. Now, here's a question. If you were to tie two cats together by the tail, right, and throw them over a clothesline, now, I hope the RSPCA are not listening. You take two cats and tie them by the tail and throw them over a clothesline. How many of you know you got union, but you ain't got unity? Right? Everybody say unity. I just want to make sure you're with me, right? Man said, you love, you love cats? Oh, swiftly moving on then. <laughs> Let me give you a second illustration, right? So, that's a picture of union, but not necessarily unity, right? Because the cats will be scratching at each other's eyes out. But how about this second illustration? If you can see it, the sun's shining. You might not be able to see it so clearly. It's a, it's a picture of two synchronized swimmers. Two synchronized swimmers in complete unity. Amen. Bless you, man. In complete unity, complete agreement and alignment and consensus and harmony and peace. In complete, complete identi identity, solidarity and unanimity. Can you see the difference? And I'd like to hope that that's a clear definition of the word unity and in terms of this unity, the fact that we are one with God and hopefully one with each other, this unity ought to be visible. This unity ought to be visible. Say visible with me. Visible. visible. Thank you, Parson. It should be visible. It should be perceivable. Now, I'm going to give you a whole heap of synonyms for the word visible. It should be perceivable observable, noticeable, easily seen and recognizable. It should be evident and apparent. It should be conspicuous and obvious. It should be unmistakably, unmistakable and, and distinguishable. It should be glaring, blatant, prominent. That is this unity, right? It should be as plain as the nose on your face. It should be sticking out like a sore thumb. 
It should be standing out a mile, right under your nose, staring you in the face. Is that a clear definition of the word visible? Yeah. Question is, which one of these two illustrations describes your relationship with God? Which one of these two illustrations, cats scratching each other's eyes out or individuals working harmoniously together, which one of these describes your relationship with God but also your relationship with each other? Our relationship. Let me not leave myself out right. You know what they say. The preaching ain't just for those in front of the pulpit. It's also for those behind the pulpit. Does this describe our relationship with one another? With God's people. Okay, let's look at the text and then we'll pray. If you go to the next slide for me, thank you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to 6. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Father, I pray that today you would help us to see the importance of us being in right relationship with you and therefore being in right relationship with each other. And that that would be visible. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I've got two points for us today, right, um, from our six verses, and the two points are, as you can see, hopefully on your handout, number one, visible unity, verse one to three, and then our second point is invisible unity, verse four to verse six. So starting at verse one, under visible unity, what's the first word there? Therefore, Therefore you know. <laughs> now. Have you ever heard about the word therefore in your Bible? You know, they say, whenever you see a therefore, what should you do? Back up and see what it's there for. Right? That should help you in your reading of your Bible. It's absolutely just gold. You know, that's treasure. And you might be like, yeah, that's a good one, you know. And I say, don't clap. Throw money. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but no one was clapping. That shows that it really weren't worth nothing. It's all good. It's all right. <laughs> no friend. <laughs> Let me keep it moving. You'd be like, oh, I knew it, you know. Another one of them churches want to talk all about money. No, trust me. If you know us, we are not that church. I'm lying, bro. <laughs> we are not that church. <clears throat> Whenever you see in your Bible a therefore, you always need to back up and see what it's there for. And if you back up, right, we're in what chapter are we in currently? We're in chapter 4, innit? I'll just test it. I'll make sure that you're with me, right? We're in chapter 4, so backing up, you'd be looking at chapter 3, 2, and chapter 1, right? Um, if you go to that next slide for me, please. Chapter 1 through chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul talks about what God has done for us. 
as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus. It starts off the book not talking about what you need to do, which is what religion will do. No, the gospel, <laughs> the, the Bible that we read, in initially talks about the good things that God has done for you. Then the good things that we do are now a response to what he has done. Does that make sense? So chapter 1 through 3 talks about the blessing of being in Christ. Now, in being, now this term, in Christ, is one of Paul's favorite terms. It's replete, throughout, it's replete throughout his New Testament writings. I've got to stop shouting. Um, and, 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 and this term, being in Christ, describes the believer's new position. And in chapter 1, it, Paul talks about adoption into God's family. How I many of you know, if you're someone that doesn't have a family and you've been adopted into a new family, how I many of you know that's big things? That's massive for you as an individual, adoption. Well, that's what the Bible says, that God has done for us in Christ with regards to being a part of his family. It's massive. And believers become God's people in Christ. Then it talks about, um, that's chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Then Ephesians goes on to talk about election and the fact that we've been elected. It's like we've been adopted, but that adoption is based on an election that took place from eternity past. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 to 14 talks about being predestined before the world began. Then it goes on in chapter 1, verse 15 to 23 to talk about the new hope that believers have with regards to the future. Wow, the hope is real. And it's very substantial and it will keep you in those times that are extremely difficult. And those difficult times will come. But that hope with regards to the future holds us. Chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Then believers, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, it says, are saved by grace. By grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Can you hear the wonderful things that God has done on the behalf of all believers? Goes on. Chapter 2, verse 11 to 18 talks about believers being now citizens, not strangers. Now, I'm not trying to preach the whole of Ephesians 1 through 3. But imagine being a stranger, someone who's afar off, but now being brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus having broken down the middle wall of partition that separated us between us and God. Believers, then he goes on in chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, and says that we are the new house of God, the new temple of God. Believers, chapter 3, verse 1 to 21, are now made up of Jews and Gentiles, which is massive, especially if you're familiar with your Old Testament. Jews and Gentiles are now one together, one new man, it says in Ephesians chapter 3. So regarding um, Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, and the life of the believer, that is a brief summary, very brief summary of the wonderful things that God has done for us. So then Ephesians chapter 4 now through 6 will talk about how we now respond to what God 
has done, how we respond in the light of what God has done for us. Let's go to that next slide for me, please. This is a phenomenal, fantastic, basic overview of the book of Ephesians, and it's all that I've begun to try to explain. Chapter 1 through 3 talks about the position of the Christian, but chapter 4 through 6 now <laughs> is going to talk about the practice of the Christian. It's one thing you say you're a Christian. Okay, nice. Are we going to see that now in your practice? Chapter 1 through 3 talk about the privileges of the Christian that we just outlined. But then chapter 4 through 6 is going to say, okay, well, now that you have these privileges, guess what? There are responsibilities that are associated with those privileges. And then, okay, you say this is what you believe. Let's see it worked out in your behavior. We talked about the wealth of the believer. Let's see you walk that out now. Does that make sense? That's the whole book of Ephesians for you right there. Bam. Doctrine to duty, creed to conduct, indicative to imperative. You guys know what an imperative is? It's another word for imperative. Sorry, it's, like, it's like Monday morning back at school, sorry. I'm looking at the teacher over there, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Taiwo. It's a com an imperative is a command. Chapter 1 through 3, hardly any. I think there's only one loose command, chapter 1 through 3. In chapter 4 through 6, listen to this quote from Andy Woods. Would you go to the next slide for me, please? Boy, the slides are on point today. Jeez. So... Andy Woods, he says this, in the first section of the book, Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul explains the spiritual wealth of the believer. This section contains hardly any imperatives. Paul simply unfolds what the believer already possesses because of their relationship to Christ. However, in the second section, Paul explains how the believer is responsible to conduct themselves in light of the riches that they have received. Consequently, 35 imperatives, 35 commands are found in this section. Thus, while the first section focuses upon knowledge, belief, position, and privileges, the second section focuses upon wisdom, behavior, practice, and responsibility. Thus, the message of Ephesians is that believers are responsible to walk according to what? Their heavenly calling. Thank you for those of you are still with me. See, that's why Paul now in chapter 4, verse 1 of our text says, therefore. All right, and so we backed up and we saw, we can see what it's there for. In view of all that God has done, this is now how you are to respond in regard to God's call of salvation. His call to salvation. So, here we are at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. It's also on your handout. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, this is a man who understands his calling. He's bound to it. Like someone who's imprisoned. He can't get away from it. This calling. Do you ever feel challenged to run <laughs> from your calling. Now, I don't mean specifically the things that God has called you to do, although that is relevant, but I'm talking about just being who you are now as a Christian. You know, the Bible says God has, has delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. But often, 
As a child of light, I act like I'm still in the darkness. You know what I mean? I don't flex like I'm a child of light. And I feel, do you feel that pinch? Do you feel that, that pull and that turmoil as a believer? Paul, he, he just confesses it. You know what? I, I, you know, I just, I just, I've come to the point in my life where I've recognized I'm tied to Jesus. And there ain't no point me trying to run away and get away. I'm his prisoner. So let me just, you know, let me just put it to bed. And let me just, let me just, let me, let me just call it what it is. And let me just uh, uh, name it and I'll own it. This is who I am. And, and, and if you think about it, it's like when we get home to heaven, right? We don't want to be in a place where we're like, oh my gosh. And I'm saying, like, I knew the place was going to be amazing. I was going to say the place is going to be wicked, but probably not a good turn of phrase. You know what I mean? I'll be like, I know the, it's like, I knew it. I'd be like, oh, I'd be like, look, you know, you're in the queue, innit, to, to, to meet Jesus face to face, personally. And you're in the queue, like, oh, man. You know what I mean? Lord, I, I, what am I going to say to him? You know what I mean? I let, like, I, all them times when I let him down and all them times that I denied him and all the times that I pretended like I didn't know him. Oh, you know what I mean? And Jesus is there with arms wide open and loving and forgiving and merciful and saved me, saved you anyway. Be like, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Lord, help me to represent you now, here. Um, while well, I've got opportunity because it's actually a privilege, especially when I understand what you've done for me. Amen? Let's understand the call on, on our life. And, and Paul says, he says, therefore I, prisoner for serving the Lord, he says, I beg you. I love this translation. You know, others, other older translations use words like, I urge you. Even an older translation, I beseech you. Man said, man said, 21st century, I beg you. <laughs> man said, I beg you. Man's got to get on his knees pleading with us. He says, I beg you, live a life worthy of your calling. See, I talked about my calling, says Paul. I'm talking about your calling now, says Paul. For you have been called by God. See, do you understand the implications of of God's call on your life. You know, obviously Sundays is, is a good reminder for us, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I ain't been living like that this week. But next week is an opportunity to do so, right? Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out with real clarity. And, and that, as it relates to illustrating the unity that is supposed to be exhibited in the church, because that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about that unity, and it being displayed and visible, right? And the word's going to come up in our section in verse 3, but it's also going to come up in next week's section, um, talking about bodybuilding in verse 13. Unity. And this unity is to be visible, perceivable, observable, noticeable, easily seen and recognizable. Now getting back to verse 1, can you hear already, you know, it's verse 1 of chapter 4. He's already hitting us with an imperative, with a command. I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. And there's, and there's more. There's at least five more imperatives as we go through our text. Look at verse 2. The man says, sometimes be humble. Is that what it says? I see you looking at me. Verse 2, he says, oh, not sometimes. 
Not, not well, when you feel like it. No, he says always. Always be, there's the imperative, be humble. It's not a suggestion. Can you see that? Not just on, not just on Sundays. <laughs> when we can put on our church face, right? And our church smile. A Colgate smile. Ding! Now, always. Always be what? Humble and gentle. Now, this first characteristic is opposite to the worst of all characteristics. What was the, wor- what was the first sin? Anybody know? Thank you, pride. And it was found in Satan... Before Genesis 1, before the creation of the world. Go to that next slide for me, please. In Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah chapter 14. You might not be able to see this, but I'm going to read it, right? Ezekiel 28, speaking of the devil prior to the beginning of the world, prior to even when we were created, right? It says, verse 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, notice, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, who was in the garden? We know God was in the garden. We know Adam and Eve was in the garden. Who was the other person in the garden? Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. It's like, yeah, there's something about the devil and, and his drip. There's something about the devil and, and diamonds and looking good. The workmanship of your, t- your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. There's something about music as well, as far as us concerned. That's another message for another day. Verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. This is not just a regular angel. This is archangel type category of angel. Right, real close to the throne of God. Right? I, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until till iniquity was found in you. And then Isaiah 14 gives us, gives us a little bit more. It says, verse 12, how you are fallen from where? Heaven, because that's where the devil, Satan, Lucifer used to abide. That's where he used to work. That's where he used to live. Oh, notice how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Really? I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Notice he doesn't say, I'll be greater, because at least he knew that there weren't no one greater. But I will be like the Most High. Yet, you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Can you see the, I'll try to emphasize it, the eyes. The I, 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 the me, 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 the my, my, my. Can you hear the arrogance, the exaltation of self, as Harry said, pride. Can you see the devil grasping for something that wasn't rightly his? And it's the opposite of the Lord Jesus. Could you go to that next slide for me? Philippians chapter 2. Look at the contrast. 
Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? See, this is our word. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not on his own, not on her own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not crown equality with God a thing to be grasped. So the devil's grasping for something that's not his, and Jesus is not trying to grasp something that is his. He's willing to let it, let it go. Can you see the contrast? But he, em- he emptied himself, verse 7, by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he, does the word again, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, I love it. Therefore, there's another therefore. We don't need to back up and see what it's there for because we just read it. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I mean, he humbled himself like no one else. It makes sense that he gets exalted like no one else. He's given, he bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's so much here that I wanted to pull out. I just didn't have time for. But notice, like, there ain't nowhere that Jesus ain't Lord. We sang it earlier. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now imagine if you actually saw this. This type of humility being outworked in the church amongst believers. Imagine if you saw this being outworked in our church. Wouldn't that be wonderful? You're like, yeah, that would be amazing. How about if we saw this outworked in every church? And not just sometimes... But like it says in verse 2, always. And, it's, and notice it's the first one that Paul starts with. How important then does it make this characteristic? Always be humble and gentle. Now I won't spend anywhere near as much time on the rest. You'd be like, praise the Lord. right? <clears throat> but I thought I'd do that, that first one because it's the first one and is. It's the first one for a reason. The next thing is gentleness. Now, this is, this, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? I remember learning it by a song. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Gentleness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Temperance, self-control. Gentleness, one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Go to that next slide for me. Chris Green, in the book that we've been using to help us as we've been talking about the topic of the church, he says, gentleness is how we relate to people who are less able or less gifted than we are. See, the world we're living in, if I'm, if, if I'm better than you or I'm cleverer than you or I'm, I got, I'm richer than you, then I will step all over you. And you expect to be treated in that manner because that's just the way of the world, isn't it? And they say, you get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can and poison the rest. That's how people function. I see it on t-shirts all the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start putting me first. 
We're not called to live like that. We're called to live opposite. See, gentleness is how we relate to people who are less able or less gifted than we are. The shy person who finds it hard to contribute in a Bible study. The older person who is slower in the coffee queue. Gentleness will mean taking time with them and for them. Listening before we speak. New Testament writers frequently draw gentleness to our attention, presumably because it is a characteristic that should mark our lives all too often. It does not. Verse 2 says, be patient. Can you hear another imperative? Be patient. With who? With each other. I really haven't got time. Be patient with each. You'd be like, Paul, why do you even have to say that? You'd be like, surely you don't have to say that. What, to Christians who are saved and, and, and experienced the grace of God and, and, and have been adopted into God's family and have been blessed, coming in and blessed going out and seated with Christ in heavenly place. Like, you name the list, the list is too long. I've been blessed in that way and you're having to tell me to be patient with other people who are a part of my family. The same you know, father, which is God in heaven. Surely you don't have to tell us that, Paul. No, Paul's like, yeah, I've got to say it. I have to tell you over and over and over again. And I, and, and I have to command you to do it. You're like, wow. See, because Paul understands our fallen nature, doesn't he? And someone said patience, this is beautiful. Someone said patience is just gentleness repeated. Week after week, month after month, maybe hour after hour, with some, I was going to say with some of you, with some people, it's minute by, it's minute, by minute. If you know anything about the Christian life, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you're like, what? No. You've been a Christian for more than a year, then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 for real. Minute by minute, you know. Man's having to be gracious and patient, right? See, this is why we need, I was talking to me and Tyler was talking about this earlier. This is why we need a multi-generational mix in the church. Where younger people are having to rub shoulders with older people. Because the younger people just want to run around and just, just go, 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 go. Quick, 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 quick. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what was it, what was it yesterday? Yesterday, um, we were watching Netflix. <clears throat> Me and Tyler watching Netflix. And you know, the, the, the little clock comes up and it's like 10, 5%, 6, 7, 8, 10%. And it's counting, you know. The thing's counting. And Tyler's sitting there thinking, boy, this thing, man, it's taking so long. <laughs> and I was like, this is taking long. I remember the days when I used to have to walk, not even no car them days. I have to walk to Blockbuster. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then pick out maybe three films for a fiver. You remember them ones? You, you, you know you're not going to get one because getting one was two ninety nine, but you get three for a fiver. And you pick that and then you have to walk all the way back home. And then you've got to put it in. The, just putting it in the video player to suck it in and to, get, to engage it and to play it probably took longer than the film. I'm like, obviously, that's an exaggeration. But I'm saying for us back in the... So me sitting there and watching the, the clock just, just tick... 
I know it's going to get to 100 in maybe a minute or so. We're there refreshing it, stopping it, starting it again. My man was like, and we had a joke about it, and I'm like, see, he needs me in his life. So I can help him to know that, you know what? You need to be patient. You know what I mean? But then at the same time, sometimes I need him in my life to help me to, come on, keep it moving, man. You know what I mean? It's like, like we, need, we, we need that multi-generator. Someone say, yeah, Pastor Rob, yeah, like it's 25 past 12, right? See? And, and when we have this multi-generational mix, we can practice on each other. And we can learn from each other. Another Bible, another Bible translation, um, instead of patience, uses the word long-suffering. <laughs> long-suffering. Derek Prince used to say, how, lo- how, how do you learn long-suffering? He said, by suffering long. James chapter 1 says, my brethren, count it all joy. This is not a slide. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's talking about perfect and complete. It's talking about becoming mature. Um, there's, we're not, there's no um, sinless perfection. We don't preach that. Um, we're only going to get perfect when we get home. Um, but there is an element of perfection with regards to growing up and becoming mature, you know, and setting, and I'm the older one, I'm supposed to set an example for the, Tyler don't know no better, he's the younger one, you know, but then I see how he functions with the babies, we had two little girls, so my son Jordan, he's godfather to two little girls, and he took them to the cinema, but he brought them around the house after the cinema this weekend, and they, oh my goodness, I forgot what it's like to have under five-year-olds in the house, running up and down the stairs, and in my bedroom, I'm like, you're not allowed to go in the, be- in the bed, and I'm telling them you're not allowed to go in the bedroom, and they're trying to dodge me to still get in the bedroom, I'm like, it was this havoc with these little, but Tyler was really good with them, really patient with them, and I was like, look at that. You know, so make I be patient with him as he's patient with, with the youngers. And a man, a, a Mr. Carnegie w- will be patient with, you know, as the, as the elder um, in, in, in that category in our church. Thank God for those different categories. We need each other in that sense so we can practice patience. The original Greek word used here for patience can also be translated endurance or perseverance. Can you hear it? It's like exercise. The less you do it, the less you can do. But the more you do it, the more you can do. The more you endure, the more able you are to endure. The more you persevere, the more able you are to persevere. The more patient you are, the more patient you become. And notice, it's a command. Be patient. This is the expected behavior of every Christian in every church. Be patient with each other. I mean, and if we can't be patient with each other, oh my gosh, how are we going to be patient with those who are outside of the faith? I mean, at least you know your brother or your sister should be, should be somewhat amicable and, and, and behaving themselves to some degree. <laughs> but people out in the world, they're not beholden to any kind of Rules and regulations and standards, but we're, we're, but we're still called to be patient 
But it starts with us learning to be patient. Make an allowance, notice, for each other's faults because we will make mistakes. Why? Because of your love. I've got to keep it moving. Later on at the end of this chapter, in Ephesians 4, that next slide, please. Thank you, Anna. This is, this is our same chapter that we're in, but a little bit later on. Verse 30 says, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. It's like God's like, I got you like a hundred percent. He says, so verse 31, to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger. It'd be like, can you imagine being in heaven, being bitter and angry? Are you mad? You think I want Jesus to, to, you know what I'm saying, to run down the, I don't know, the, the streets made with gold and come, uh, and come, and come, and come, and come confront me because I'm being bitter? I don't want that. No, but, but even though Jesus isn't here and visible, we just sang that he's Lord, right? Therefore, I should be acting here the way I'm going to be acting there. Is that not true? Now, again, I'm preaching to me as well as I'm preaching to you. He says, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. I wish I could break that down as, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, verse 30, to be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Do it because of love. God has patiently endured and persevered with you and with me. And he's shown us grace, mercy, and love. You know, we pray, Father, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, we have no excuse not to forgive given the fact that God in his kindness has forgiven us. Amen? Verse 3, make every effort. Make every effort. So you're going to have to look at your hand. I don't think I can go back to the slide there. Make every effort. Now, can you hear the double imperative? The man never just said, make effort. Man said, make every effort. As far as this apostolic admonition is concerned, excuses are not acceptable. He says, make every effort effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. You see, doing these things from verse 1 to 3 means we're keeping in step with the spirit. It means we're not quenching the spirit, right? Keep, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together, not with anger and rage and so on, but with peace. Another translation says, work hard to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Another translation says, be diligent to, per, to, to, to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work hard, be diligent, make effort. Can you hear it? And can you see, it's the unity, not of Ecclesia. It's not the unity of the Church of England. I pause because there could have been a lot said there. 
but probably more about Ecclesia than even the Church of England, if I'm frank. If we're judging ourselves, right? No, it's not the unity of Ecclesia or the Church of England or this denomination or that denomination. It's the unity, notice, of the Spirit. We read it a moment ago in verse 30. It says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Raw. Man said, do not bring sorrow, sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Another translation says, do not quench the Holy Spirit by your divisive, fleshly, carnal, selfish actions. Remember, we just said earlier, that's Satan's MO. That's how the devil gets down. Right? Leslie Flynn wrote a book. Check the title of this book. Great Church Fights. A church in Dallas, he says in his book, Dallas, Texas, split right down the middle. They had a dispute, and it went to litigation. Imagine, the two halves of the same church ended up in court. They awarded all equipment, furniture, the buildings, and the land that the buildings were built on to one half, to one, one group. Raw. And the other group were just forgiving and merciful and loving and kind. And no... Imagine the anger, the bitterness, the resentment. Imagine the negative energy. At the end of it all, someone inadvertently traced the issue back to its roots, back to its root cause. And, and from what they could tell, the great split began at a dinner where one of the elders was served a smaller piece of ham than the other's. Mad ting. See, I know how I feel about it. But how does the Holy Spirit feel about it? Go to that next slide for me, please. You know, the book of Ephesians, you can, you can kind of break down each chapter, very vaguely speaking, into kind of six elements. Chapter one speaks about the fact that the church is a family. In chapter 2, it's a community. Chapter 3, it's a building. Chapter 4, it's a body. Uh, again, and Pastor, he's going to break that down um, next week. Um, but we're also a bride in chapter 5, and chapter 6, the church is an army. Because, you know, chapter 6 talks about spiritual um, warfare. Chapter 5 talks about um, being married to, um, talks about marriage and really being a picture of Jesus married to the church, right? Number one, how dare we divide up his family. It's, it is my family, but I never made, I never started the family. <laughs> how, how dare we divide up his community? How dare we break up his building? Talk about the army this is just straight friendly fire. Like, what is that about? How dare we? See, this is like doing violence to Jesus, doing violence to the Father, doing violence to the Holy Spirit. The Father and Jesus are in heaven, 
Would you believe them holding their heads and holding, holding their head in their hands, shaking their head, thinking, what on earth is going on? And the Holy Spirit is down here having to deal with the mess. How dare you not be humble? How dare I not be gentle? How dare we not be patient, loving, and long-suffering? You know, I hesitated there talking about being gentle. How dare I not be gentle? I was thinking about my wife. And um, what's today? Sunday. Friday. Um, this thing was bothering me and troubling me, so I had to deal with it, innit? I thought. So I went up to my wife, and um, I, when I tell you, I had her up about an issue. Now, I was right in terms of what I was talking to her about, but I did it. You know, they say you can be so right, you become wrong. And I was, I was right, but I was so wrong. And I took, and I, I must admit, I took it to one side, so I've never done it publicly, but I read her the right act. And you know what? All credit to her, she took it on the chin, and she immediately apologized. But you know when you're just in the moment, and it's like the apology, you don't even hear it. It's like, yeah, but, you know what I mean? And, I, and, I, I, and the thing is, she, and then she apologized again. And then I just begin to, you know, the, like, it's funny when you respond, you know, the Bible says, um, a soft answer turns away wrath. You know what I mean? And, 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 and like when someone's doing you bad, heap coals of fire upon their head by not retaliating. It felt like I was just getting like, like invisible blows. I was like, wait a minute. This ain't, I'm supposed to be the one, you know, dealing out the blows here. Now, I felt like I was, I was like, wait a minute. I just, you know, you know, you just lose your head. And it wasn't that bad. I mean, maybe I'm over, you know, being over dramatic. I tend to always be a little bit over dramatic, right? But for emphasis, isn't it? What can I say? <laughs> but, but now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to feel bad. You know what I'm saying? I was ready for a fight, and there's, she, she's apologizing all over the place. And, and, and it was like, I'm, like, I made my point, and I felt like I needed to make it more, but I couldn't. And I had to walk away, and I walked away, and I, and I went and I sat down, and I just felt disgusted with myself. I, I, went, from, I, went, from, I went from 10 to 0 in, in terms of the scale of my emotions, and I'm sitting there, and I'm beating myself up, thinking, what's wrong with you, man? Why did you do, you never had to do that, Robert. Why did you do that? And to make it worse, she then came into, I'm sitting there watching telly. Again, I think Tyler, me and Tyler, you were just completely oblivious to this. So my wife comes in and she starts hanging up the washing. Guess who's washing she starts hanging up? <laughs> my washing. I begin to, I was, now I'm feeling, I'm feeling even worse. And, and I'm thinking, oh, how can I make this right? And I'm thinking, I've got to say to her, look, honey, you know, I really shouldn't have said it, just, but I knew it was not going to bang. I knew at, the, at that point in that moment, me apologizing was like, nah, yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> I don't know, you ever been there? And if I did try to do that, it was going to be facetious. It was going to come across as condescending. And thank you, innit, Harry? You just, sometimes you just got to leave it. And I... I, I, I then you know what she did? Then, if, if this weren't bad enough, if it weren't already bad enough, she apologized, apologized twice, now she's hanging up my washing. Then she comes over to me on the sofa, leans over, and she kisses me. And, 
And the thing is, it weren't no fake kiss. You know them fake kiss, like when you had a, an argument and you're like, <laughs> it weren't no fake kiss. I, I must also say, it wasn't a triple X rated kiss, but it was a genuine, really nice, I knew she meant it kiss. There was a song back in the day, isn't it? Is it in his eyes? No, no, it's not. Something about, it's, it's in his kiss. That's where it is. You know that kiss. And if I, I just wanted the earth to swallow me up. Now, that couldn't have been easy for her. I mean, I'm talking about my drama and my trauma dealing with this matter that I started. But how was it for her? It couldn't have been easy for her. She could have cussed me, quite rightly. And, and did I miss something? <laughs> you see, this is what we're trying to root out. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Oh. I was going to say you fell right into my trap, but maybe the Holy Spirit set that trap. I don't know. For all of us. I lie. I don't even know who said it, but. You know what I mean? For all of us. Because for, rightly, that's how you feel. You feel like, really? How many times have you been in that place where and someone's come at you, you think, really? <laughs> you know? And it's like, it couldn't have been easy for her and you know what, in that moment, I could sense the Holy Spirit say, yes. Yeah, we talked about the times when the Holy Spirit's like, oh no, he's grieved and he's quenched. But in that moment, I saw that I, it was like the Holy Spirit said, yes. Yes, Robert. Yes, you brute. <laughs> in that moment. Wow. You know, next slide for me. Psalm 133, you know the psalm. It says... How wonderful and pleasant it is when brethren, men and women, believers, God's people live together, how? In unity. But it's something you have to fight for. It's not something we fight to create because it's already there by the Spirit. But we have to maintain, another translation says, the unity of the Spirit. And sometimes we literally got to fight for it. As opposed to fighting one another. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brethren live. Another translation says walk together. When, when believers dwell together. Because we can't get away from each other. And again, going back to what I said earlier, we're going to be, we, we, be with each other for eternity. Dwell together in unity, in harmony. Verse 2, for it is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head. Anyone know who Aaron was? Aaron was the high priest, right? The very first high priest. Thank you, Mr. Carnegie. And that ran down, it was like the oil that ran down his beard onto the border of his robe. And you have to get the picture of the anointing oil. Now, if you want to, like they used to use... What was the oil that they used for the priest? Anybody? 
olive oil. Not, it, was, it was mixed with olive oil. It was, um, it was what they brought to the, what the kings, and I nearly said the three kings. It wasn't three kings. The kings brought in terms of the gifts to Jesus. Frankincense and myrrh. If you want to know, this is what they used in the oil. If you want to know it's, what it smells like, come and check because I got some frankincense and myrrh. Oh, I'm not even lying. When I went to Tunisia, I bought some in the souk. You know, they got these things called where you can shop and they're cheap and you barter in the souk. I bought one. Smells. If you want to know, it smells like comes. The priest would have this oil poured on his head, and it would run down on his beard and then onto his garments. How many of you know this is an Old Testament prefigurement? What are you look laughing for? This is an Old Testament prefigurement. It's a picture of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is not just our priest or our high priest. He's our great high priest, who is a picture of what Aaron was, right? And Jesus is the head. Of the body. Are you getting a picture? And the oil is a picture of the spirit. Remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus stood up and he read and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit running down, or obviously Jesus has the spirit without measure, running down Jesus onto his body. Guess who the body is? It's us. It's us. And it's supposed to come down from the head, Jesus, onto his body, onto the body of Jesus, onto the body of Christ, onto the church. We are anointed by God. And he wants us walking, smelling sweet with a sweet perfume. Pastor E's got a lyric about that. I can't even call it. If only I could call it to mind. About, about us being a fragrance of Christ, and we're supposed to be sweet-smelling, not sour and stink. If you get the, the metaphor. Man said, make every effort, work hard to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Ecclesia, let me ask you, is your unity visible? Is your unity visible? And if it is, I'm going to have to move to the end now. If it is visible, it's only a reflection of the invisible. Um, so we did verse 1 to 3. Unity, that's visible. Now let's look at chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. The invisible. Now, there's no way I can spend as much time on this as I did the previous part. <clears throat> is our unity visible? And if it is, it's only a reflection of the invisible and that of the invisible God. Um, can you see the Trinity in these next three verses? Now, if you're spiritual, right, you've got a pen. Anybody got a pen? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> Be like, I'm spiritual. No. Now, if you're super spiritual, you've got highlighters. You come to, anyone come to church with highlighters? But I suppose you'd need to have a paper Bible to do that. But um, I don't know if you can do it on your tablet or on your phone. But if you, if you have that handout and you've got a pen, in verse 4, put a circle around spirit. Remember, I'm asking you, can you see the Trinity? Can you see um, the Trinity in these three verses? Put a circle around spirit in verse 4. And then in verse 5, put a circle around Lord. Can you see it? And then in verse 6, put a circle around God. Can you see God, the Spirit? God, 
the Son, and God literally says in verse 6, the Father. The Trinity, the invisible Trinity, right? Our second point, invisible unity. Also, what we see here is two sets of unities, right? You can see one set. Oh, you put it up already, thank you. You can see one set of seven, seven ones, can you see that? And then one set of, of four, four alls. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that, if you, can, if you get that. Seven ones, four alls. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Can you see that? seven ones, and father of all, one all, who is over all, two, and in all, three, and living through all, four. All of these unities have a divine origin. They all have their foundation in the invisible Godhead. Now, again, I wish I had time to unpack this whole section. It would take me another 30 minutes, so um, I'm not, yeah. So let me just give you a statement, I think, on each of these, and then we'll conclude. It's suggested that this section, chapter four through six, is a confessional hymn that was sung by the early church. Uh, a little bit like, you know, we'd sing the creed. We believe in God the Father, maker of the... Right, so we'd sing the creed. This was a similar song, at least these, these, these last three verses. And, and it's packed with biblical and systematic theology. Verse 4, for there is one body. That is one universal global body, including the saints in heaven. One body. Now we'll hear a bit more about unity and the body again next week from Pastor E. Bodybuilding. One spirit. There's one body and there's one spirit. One Holy Spirit. If you could go back to that previous slide for me, please. The one where I got the words highlighted. Thank you. One Spirit. One Holy Spirit. That is the third member of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit. Just as you have been called, which he mentioned earlier, to one glorious hope for the future. You know, I had to quote Titus 2 here. It's not on the slides. It says, verse 13 of Titus 2, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, like when Jesus comes back, it's like, you ever heard it? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Superman, right? It's going to be Jesus coming, and we're going to see it. The invisible will become visible. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us, to save us from all lawlessness and to, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, Pastor E mentioned it earlier. This great hope in Titus 2 verse 13 that we're, that we're, we're reading about here in verse 4. This hope, this great hope that we have is what allows me to be here today. And it's the fact that my, 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 got, uh, we was in prayer meeting Tuesday night when we got the call that my uncle, 
Pastor Mike's dad passed away, Uncle Shirley. In the meet, I'm a lion, Harry. In, and, and last year, roughly this time, we was in that same pr- prayer meeting where, where Pastor Mike said, please pray for my dad. He's not well. He's got cancer. And I don't know, was he saved at that point, Mikey? Can't remember. But I know there was a point where, pray for my dad that he might get saved. Pray for my family. That... The same prayer meeting a year later, thankfully, although he died, he got saved. And we got pictures of him getting baptized in my birth certificate, new birth certificate, <laughs> when he got baptized in Jamaica. Praise God. That's why I can be standing here. That's why Mike's here. And that was the Tuesday night. 48 hours later, I get a call at 2 o'clock in the morning saying that my sister died. But thank God, rock solid believer. She had Huntington's disease. And so for about 10 years, she's been suffering. And in one sense, you might be thinking, raw, boy, two deaths. But I was actually rejoicing. Because I thought, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, no more pain. Me and Richie, my brother, went to see her last Sunday um, down in Luton. And we went into the nursing home, and she was so frail. It was a joy to hear that she'd passed. Set free. How mad is that? Now, listen, you're not going to hear that outside, you know. I said I ain't got time. The great hope, the blessed hope, the just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. I'm gonna see my sister again. I'm gonna see my uncle Shirley again. My mum passed away last year in June. I'm gonna see mummy again. I've not cried since my mum died. How mad is that? But you know when I'm gonna cry? I'm gonna when I see her, that's when I'm you're gonna I'm, you're gonna see an ugly cry when I see her. This is the hope that we're talking about. It's real. Or be invisible. It will become visible. But although it's invisible, we have the ability to provide something that people can see visibly, touch tangibly. Because of the great hope that we have, the blessed hope that we have. Verse 5, there's one Lord. We ex- we, this, this explicitly speaks of Jesus. He's the King of kings and he's the what? Lord of, he's not just Lord, he's the Lord of all lords. Right? We sang it earlier and because of him, we can make it through the storm because he's Lord of all. One faith, which is a description of our trust in Christ, our Savior, but also describes the body of our beliefs, the truth that we hold fast to, the gospel. That's what we stand on. That's what gives us solidity, rigidity. Because we're standing on the rock. Our faith is substantial, let me tell you. One baptism. This one thing actually describes two things. Water baptism, because we're baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Lord Jesus. The Trinity, right? Water baptism. But also this speaks of baptism into the body of Christ. I wish I had time. 
We've been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12. Jews and Gentiles have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. As Jesus prayed, remember, for all his disciples, past, present, and future, John 17, it says, I'm praying. Did I cream my arm this morning? He says, I'm praying verse 20, not only for these disciples, Jesus is 11, right, excluding Judas, but also for all those who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That's the kind of unity Jesus is desiring, expecting, praying for, for us. And this links to our last verse, verse 6. One God, one God, but a triune God. One God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. John, First John chapter 1 um, says, um, don't put up the next one just yet. One more verse, and then I'll ask you to put that one up for me. We proclaim to you, says John, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship... Say that word fellowship for me. Fellowship. fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Our fellowship is one with another, but it's also with the Father and the Son. It's two-way, right? And you know that they've got the picture of the cross. If your relationship with God, vertically, yeah, is, is right, then your relationship horizontally with your brothers and sisters, with people, will be right. But if your if the cross if the if your if your relationship with God is off, guess what? Your relationship with others is also gonna be off. We need both, and it starts with fellowship with God. Now, fellowship. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I have, I've been waiting. I thought, Lord, I'll just wait for the right opportunity. Um, I thought we was gonna do it at um at at, at, at where we work at LCM one week, but the opportunity never arose. But I want to do it today because I think it's pertinent. So put up that verse for me, please. Hebrews chapter ten. Remember, I asked you to say fellowship, fellowship, fellowship. Verse twenty-three. This is a lot a lot of what we're talking about today with regards to the unity in the church. How we see that come about is by fellowship. Like this, like what we're doing. Now. I know I'm doing all the talking at the moment. It's a bit of a monologue, forgive me. But when we get into dialogue, well, we have had a bit of di- dialogue, right? Earlier. Was it you, sis, who said that? No. <laughs> Earlier, who, said, who made the comment about I, she should have, Helen should have, shout, should have had me up anyway? Um, sorry. I'm not, amen, amen, amen. Um, but this, like us having this dialogue together is a part of what the Bible calls fellowship. Um, let me read it. Let us hold tightly, without tightly, without wavering to the hope. And again, it's speaking about that future hope. We affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Someone needs to hear that this afternoon. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's what I've been working hard this morning, this afternoon to try and do. Verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. That's the word in Greek for fellowship. Does anyone know the real Greek word for fellowship? Koinonia. Can you say that for me? Koinonia. Koinonia. It's fellowship, encouraging one another, especially now that the day of his return 
is drawing near. So, um, we're down forever. Birds of a feather, whatever. We'll stay around, stick together. Truth, yeah, we're telling it. Come reap the benefit. We're well equipped because we don't neglect fellowship, I said. We're down forever. Birds of a feather, whatever. We'll stay around, stick together. Truth, yeah, we're telling it. Come reap the benefit. We're well equipped and we don't. Jesus left the communion of the Father and the Spirit, arrived on earth, became dirt, in order that he might restore the whore who was vile and then walk us down the aisle. He didn't have to leave his home, but he chose to. He didn't have to die for sin, but he chose you. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he paid the cost and reconciled the lost. Stick together. We're supposed to fit together. The body ain't dead whilst Jesus is the head. Every single part providing what is necessary. Not being divided by doctrines that are secondary. When iron sharpens iron, you know sparks are going to fly. But it's another opportunity to die. So let's do it daily. He saved me. He treat me like a lady. For his glory he made me. Forget about who don't respect your ministry. It's about truly reflecting the Trinity from here to infinity. I love this vicinity. Represent the Godhead. Matchless divinity. Real relationship like getting in your face, holding hands, eating food, saying grace. We're developing communal spiritual fitness, exercising forgiveness. You slip down the slope, lost hope and can't cope with this three-chord rope. It ain't easily broke. No, we're far from divided ever since our lives collided, like-minded because Jesus provided. Brother taking brother to court. That's sad. Don't you know you got the same dad? Are you mad? Even though you win and you're keen to fight, doesn't really mean you're right. You need the light. Hope you're hearing this song. Maintaining the bond and inclined to get your fellowship on. This 36 bars ain't random. We're from Berea and it's all about near. because we're down forever. Birds of a feather, whatever. We'll stay around, stick together. Truth, yeah, we're telling it. Come reap the benefit. We're well equipped and we don't neglect fellowship. Father, thank you. As I invite the praise team, Father, thank you so much for helping us to understand what it means to display the unity that you provide as the Trinity. You don't have no drama between you, Father, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And you want us to, you want us to, 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 to reflect that. And you want us to make that which is invisible, visible. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. We are one with you, one with God, and now we are also one with one another. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that, that hasn't repented and put their faith in Jesus, that they would do that today before they leave in order that they might also enjoy the fellowship that Jesus prayed for. When he said, Father, I pray that they would be in me in the same way I am in you and you are also in me. Help us, Father, to work hard to preserve the unity of the Spirit. If we're the church, in Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.